The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, have I got a story for you today? Well, actually, it's not my story. It's the story of my two guests, and actually, it's the story... (laughs) Their story that they know from being prosecutors, it's an amazing story. It's, and soon to be, I would, I would anticipate, um, uh, this is a perfect television movie, by the way. I'm sure we'll get into that. But anyway, it is called, the book that they have written that's just been released is called The Charmer, the story of Robert Reldon, rapist, murderer, and millionaire, and the women who fell victim to his allure. I've uh, called the show The Charmer from Murderer to Mil- Millionaire. Um, my guests are Richard Muti and Charles Buckley. They are the co-authors of this new book. Richard Muti has more than 70 publishing credits to his name, including op-ed pieces in the New York Times and many other places. Um, he's, all, he's been a successful trial prosecutor for 19 years. He taught writing. Mm-hmm. American Government and Politics, Criminal Justice and History at three New Jersey universities. He's the former mayor of Ramsey, New Jersey, which was his hometown. And Charles Buckley, he spent 25 years as a prosecutor. He, um, has, he calls himself the legal paladin, have brief case, will travel. It's funny, Charles, because I call myself the um, uh, have couch, will travel. <laughs> um, He's conducted successful prosecutions against top organized crime figures and corrupt public officials. And most uh, importantly, he was the last prosecutor to handle the case, the state versus Robert Reldon. Um, And doing that, he saved copies of every document, thousands of pages, transcripts, photos, police reports, witness statements, psychiatric evaluations. I wish I would have been involved in that case laboratory reports, and so on. And um, that is presumably um, where this idea to write this book came from. So let me start with you, Charles. Both of you, welcome to the show. This is very, I, I find this, this case, of course, is incredibly fascinating because, as you people will hear, my dear listeners, um, it's not only that Robert Reldon charmed countless women, the women he raped and murdered, but he even fooled his wealthy aunt into bequeathing him her fortune, millions of dollars. And he was hoping to hire a top criminal defense attorney to defend him for these murders. Um, you know, of course, it's so amazing that even his, his wealthy aunt, who knew him since he was um, uh, a star in his mother's eye, <laughs> or, or not, um, could, could still be fooled and star- charmed enough to 
to still bequeath him the money, not believe that he had someone out to kill her and so on. Well, you're going to tell us the whole story. But why don't we start at the beginning, Charles? Um, what made you, I mean, you spent 25 years as a prosecutor, obviously, you know, very interesting cases, organized crime, corrupt public officials, etc. Uh, what made you pick this case to, to save all the papers and to, to plan to write a book on? Well, when I was trying the uh, the third trial, the third murder trial of Reldon, uh, now I I had come up from Trenton. I wasn't that familiar with Bergen County at the time, but uh, there were two people, two men in the courtroom who were writing copiously, copious notes on as the proceedings were going on. I spoke to each of them, and they were in the process. They told me of writing a book on Reldon. So that uh, my idea when I finished the trial was that this will be a great book to read when it comes out, <laughs> and it never did. I mean, ten years passed and never heard anything yeah. about it. So I had all these things. I said, well, this this is a great case. People would be very interested in the whole panorama of the Relvin uh, saga. I mean, jumping out of the courthouse windows, having having his girlfriend come to the jail to try and blast him out with a shotgun. There's just so much here. So the story was there, and I figured, let me try and write it. And, and then I, how did you hook up with Richard? Well, uh, I found my shortcomings as a writer were the things that <laughs> convinced me I had to seek professional-type help. I had written maybe five chapters. Now, I don't type, I don't have a computer, I write, and I, I write by printing everything. So I had printed five, six chapters of my book, and I started reading it, and I realized this is not you know, the quality that's needed for this story. We uh-huh. need someone who, who has a professional skill or flair with respect to uh, writing. And I know Rich because we had worked together at the Bergen County Prosecutor's Office, and I approached him on it, and we ultimately agreed that he would uh, like to take a look at it, become involved. Okay, and um, Richard, wh- why don't you take it from there? What did you think when you were approached with this story? We were, you must have been familiar with it because... It was a famous case yes. in New Jersey, of yes. course. Uh, at first I said no to Charlie, actually. Uh, I had just finished writing my second book, a novel, uh, about uh, crime, and, and Charlie knew that I was... Uh, a writer or had ambitions to to write even more uh i said no i i, I really uh, didn't think i wanted to get into that that uh, particular case although i knew something about it on the periphery uh but charlie kept asking me and uh, he was he was actually my boss in the bergen county prosecutor's <laughs> office uh and and i i like him very much and respect him and consider him a friend but he asked me after we had both left the office mm-hmm. And finally, I said, all right, let me look at your files. And and I meet him for lunch one day, and he loads six cases of files in my trunk. It took me two months to go through everything. And and when I actually read all of the files, and it was literally thousands of pages, I said, wow, this this is a book. This is a really good book. And, uh, And together we wrote it. Well, okay, so why don't you start, um, you know, it's so interesting how, how those kinds of twists of fate happen, you know. Um, and here we are with the book on the shelves. Um, so wh- one of you, why don't you start, start at the beginning of the life. Of course, you know, as a psychiatrist, I'm, I mean, you know, I, I'm very interested to know how 
Um, I read the preface in your book, and you know he seems to have started out from from uh, an ideal family. I mean, you you write that he had everything going for him early in life: innate intelligence, good looks, and a loving and supportive family, including his wealthy aunt, um, who not only idolized him but was generous with her money. Yet something was driving him toward a darker world, one beyond the can of most teenagers. Okay, so I presume that you go on to then describe how, even though it may have looked loving and supportive on the outside, obviously someone does not become that twisted <laughs> coming from a loving and supportive family. There was something going on. So why don't you start with his childhood? Well, let, let me jump in first, because uh, after we wrote the book, actually, I got a call when it, when it first went up as an electronic book, and I got a call from um, uh, someone who had been a high school classmate of Robert Reldon's in Fort Lee, New Jersey, and and he told me some things that I really didn't know about uh, Reldon. He told me that, yes, he came from a, a wonderful family, but Reldon had a younger sister, Susan Reldon, and this uh, high school classmate told me that uh, the sister had been ill as a child, and 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 her parents had shown a great deal of attention to her and it seemed like robert was resentful about that so uh, dr carol you're the psychiatrist but it seems that perhaps some of the initial motivation may have been his uh, his need to get attention from his parents and he certainly did get attention uh, when he was 16 um, and a junior Wait, let, me just, let me just interrupt you for yeah. a minute because it's so interesting that you say that because what I was thinking, you know, you wrote that um, the Reldons operated the Sweet Sue coffee shop and the daughter is named Susan. And I thought that to myself that, um, you know, that he must have been jealous. I mean, why did they name it Sweet Sue instead of... Exactly right. <laughs> and, and, you know, a, a further twist of uh, fate or irony is that his two murder victims uh, later oh, yeah. on were named Susan. Yes, that's right. And and I don't uh, wait we, a little pause for da 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 da. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's right. He, so basically, he was trying to kill his sister. Well, I'm I'm not sure because his no. sister remains very close to to him, and um, I, I I don't know that for sure. It 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 may be that he. Um, it was just a coincidence that his two victims were named Susan. Oh, come because on. Yeah, these, they, no, these were both random. He, he picked these women, these these women off uh, just on the spur of the moment. He didn't even know their names. He didn't know who they were. I mean, it really, it was something which led the police a little bit astray at the at the beginning. But there's no foundation to show that the the Susan aspect really had any uh, deep meaning with respect to the murders. Well, if you want to call it, you know, the universe or, um, I mean, it, it is more than a coincidence. But anyway, I'm getting ahead of the story. I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt. I just, I love to jump on these psychological connections, though. Um, I'm sorry. So continue with what you were starting to say when he was 16. When he was 16, and, and Charlie can probably describe those early encounters that he had, but that was his first criminal encounter that we're aware of. Charlie, you want to describe that uh, that apartment building uh, robbery in New York City? Well, the, the apartment buildings weren't first. The first one was a, a woman named Bonner, Mrs. Bonner, in, uh, in Manhattan. It was in 1967, I believe. And he uh, attempted pocketbook, pocketbook snatch. 
He grabbed her by the throat, which was significant in that most of his later uh, criminal assaults on women involved grabbing by the mm-hmm. throat. It became sort of his trademark. But uh, he was, pla- of course, he was placed on probation. It was a first juvenile offense. Uh, they put him on probation, uh, indeterminate probation, and let him go. And then coming back to New Jersey where he resided, of course, you're familiar with the, the George Washington Bridge making an easy conduit to go back between Fort Lee and Closter and New York. Uh, he started getting in uh, minor uh, non-sexual juvenile offenses, and ultimately uh, Judge Martin Cole said, I've got to send him down to Menlo Park, which is a state diagnostic center, to have him evaluate him. And after the examination, the initial psychiatric examination, he, they concluded he was in urgent need of intensive, intensive psychiatric treatment, that he had a uh, uh, pseudo-masculine Don Juan-type behavior, which uh, was trying to overcome his strong, passive, feminine uh, tendencies. Hmm. So that was the initial psychiatric evaluation of Robert Reldham. And, and when uh, Judge Cole got the report back from, uh, from Menlo Park, he uh, sentenced uh, Reldham to Annandale, which is a juvenile det- detention center, suspended the sentence. And wait, released... wait, wait. Uh, uh, let's leave. Okay. I don't know if you can hear the music. I but, can. But we do need to take a break right. now. We'll leave it on that cliffhanger. Okay. Um, we're talking today about the charmer, from Murderer to Millionaire, actually the title of the book is The Charmer, the story of Robert Reldon, rapist, murderer, and millionaire, and the women who fell victim to his allure. With my guests, the two authors of the, of the book, Richard Muleti and Charles Buckley. So uh, you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. Obviously you're hooked in this uh, murder mystery. <laughs> and so we'll be right back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific for the Dr. Pat show with Dr. Pat Basile, Radio to Thrive By. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com 
Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, with my guests Richard Muti and Charles Buckley, who are the authors of a just-released book called um, The Charmer, The Story of Robert Reldon. And uh, we, we're, we're starting to, um, to look at his life, and, um, it, it, I mean, it's just, it's just really fascinating to see how, how someone could be this, uh, unfortunately twisted and, and create these crimes. So go ahead. You were starting to talk about when he was a teen and he was sent, it's interesting. So you were saying he was sent to Menlo Park and the psychiatric evaluation said that he had a Don Juan complex to mask, uh, because he didn't feel enough his, like a man, so he had to keep proving it is basically what they yeah, did. Yeah, he overcome his feminine tendencies that they saw there. But the thing was that uh, Judge Cole then sentenced him to a suspended sentence and said, "You, but you've got to get psychiatric treatment. He went to a doctor one time and then just didn't, didn't go back again. Uh. The doctor let the probation department know that he wasn't fulfilling his requirements. Probation took no action. So what you have here... And probation departments are, you know, unduly burdened with these kind of things. But you have a guy who who should have been getting psychiatric street, treatment mm-hmm. from the very beginning, and it just slipped through the cracks. He didn't well, get it. Well, that happened the second time, where the same kind of thing. Judge Cole trying to be uh, understanding, trying to help this young fellow. He again sentenced to to an indeterminate term, suspended. Uh, but you have to undergo. Uh, Psychiatric team, you have to move to New York City and live with your aunt, Aunt Lillian, in New York City, and go this doctor. Hmm. Again, he just ignored that and went on his way. Hmm. And uh, he just left uh, left the state. Uh, ultimately, went down to uh, went to Missouri, went to uh, uh, Florida, got in trouble in Florida, and then finally comes back to New Jersey after having been convicted in Florida on two minor criminal. Uh, matters is uh, impersonate a police officer and a break and entry. But now, for the first time, he has uh, a criminal, uh, you know, an adult criminal record. So that was they're finally reaching a point where these things are gonna, beginning to count against them. Uh huh. And really, he has no he gets no more psychiatric evaluation or consideration until he's ultimately sentenced to a uh, to a three year prison term in New York State. And then a, a subsequently a five-year prison term in New York State, which is a combination of New York and New Jersey uh, uh, prison sentence. But uh, that the parole evaluation for his second, for the five-year term for the uh, elevator robberies and two assaults, uh, crimes involving assaults in New Jersey, were that he was a poor risk for uh, parole. He has a, he's been very, he says he, he will be a poor risk, has considerable potential towards criminal acts, particularly assaults, and has been very fortunate that thus far he has not harmed someone badly. But they gave him uh, parole anyway. He, within he got a month, out in two and a half years. Yeah. And within a short time, he's involved in an assault on uh, some other people. Well, now, before we continue, what were his... 
what were his parents doing or his aunt when uh, he he was getting into one bit of trouble after another? His they aunt were was doing... actually uh, actually supplying the money for his attorneys and and buying the best attorneys that money could buy for him. Uh, some of the more prominent attorneys, not only in Bergen County but uh, nationally, uh, and uh, he uh, he had this ability. Uh, you know, the the choice of the title of the book, The Charmer, wasn't by accident because he had this effect on people and. And I've sort of uh, divided it into three categories. He had an effect on his family. His mother and father um, uh, idolized him, thought he could do no wrong. His sister idolized him. His Aunt Lillian idolized him. And, and no matter how many of these arrests and, and uh, convictions and plea bargains he got in, they were, they were always there for him. In his trials, uh, they were seated right behind him at the, tri- at the uh, bar and and you know they showed their support for him there was there was that category of charm that he had the the charming effect on his on his family and the, the second category i would i would uh, uh put there is that he had this effect on people that he wanted to bend to his will to get to do things uh, the way he wanted them to do out of his first four criminal trials he got three hung juries uh, that's almost unheard of in the criminal justice system. If a, a career criminal gets one hung jury in his life time of crime, that, that's unusual. Robert Reldon, out of his first four criminal trials, got at least one or more jurors in each of those trials to doubt his guilt no matter what the evidence was. So he had that second category of of people he could... Uh, control just by his his manner his uh, his uh, seemingly uh, clean cut uh, boy next door good looks uh, seated there and at the uh, council table in front of uh, the court uh, with a right. suit on with his family behind him uh, you know in in his first murder trial uh, uh, one of the jurors actually became infatuated with him a female juror mm-hmm. fell in love with him we found out later because one of the other jurors in the case was the daughter of a prosecutor's office detective, and she said after the trial, she's not allowed to say anything during a trial, but after the trial was over with and that jury was a hung jury, mm. she told her father this juror loved him. She just wouldn't uh. believe he was capable of anything. Mm. And what's the third type? The third type is is the... Um, the 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 ability of him to get close to his victims. Um, uh, Charlie mentioned there were uh, five women who uh, he followed into elevator buildings in their apartment buildings in New York City, and uh, after they picked their floor, he would pick a lower floor. And you know, here was this non-threatening young young boy in his twenties, uh, and you know, smiling and everything else, and and the women felt no ill at ease uh, getting on an elevator alone with him. As soon as the elevator doors closed, he would put his chokehold on them mm. and, and, and uh, rob them of their pocketbook, any visible jewelry, and run off. Uh, the two women victims that he eventually murdered, one of them, he went into the, her driveway and uh, she was getting ready to go out in her vehicle and evidently he got close enough to her to subdue her, throw her in his car, and take off with her. Um, the other woman, he got close enough to her to abduct her right off the street. So 
Well, what about, the, what about the rape victim, Mrs. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, the, yeah. His first rape in 1967, he, he knocks on the door of a Teaneck housewife, Teaneck, New Jersey, carrying a, a, a piece of uh, clothing that looked like dry cleaning, and he knocks on the door. She, op- she looks, peers through the window, sees this young college kid carrying something, looks like a dry cleaning delivery man. Uh, he, she opens the door. He says, Brantley residence, and she says no uh he said well may i come in and use your phone to call my uh employer and 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 uh check again on the address mm. and she lets him in in the house uh he he puts her in a chokehold and rapes her i mean now, did he rape all of his victims uh, only all, there's only no. two that we that we know of that would be susan reeve which was the last murder victim and Mrs. Kaplan, and what we think happened, because he got the strong sentence on the Kaplan conviction, uh, he sort of made a determination there weren't going to be any witnesses. I mean, that's the way we feel mm-hmm. he uh, mm-hmm. dealt with the situation. Hmm. No one left to testify against him. Hmm. So. So, okay. Um, so why don't you bring us to the – I'm still – stuck at, you know, what must have happened in his childhood. I mean, obviously this is a man who has um, who has a hatred of women, whether it was, I mean, do you know, was he sexually abused by his mother or his aunt or or somebody? There's no evidence of that. Um, no. the, the psychiatric reports, the early reports, and later the prison psychologist, who was another victim of his charm, uh, not of his crimes, but of his charm, and helped him get parole after mm. his first rape conviction, mm. uh, they determined that he had an animosity toward his aunt uh-huh. and, and toward his mother. Uh, oh, and, and, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And what did they say was why? There's, there's no evidence that he was abused. Um, and and um, I didn't... It really, it really seemed to be that he, he was... His, his aunt was very wealthy, and she was giving millions of dollars out. I mean, she was noted for her her generosity in terms of uh, actors' homes, hospitals, and things like that. And each Christmas, she would give every member of the family a thousand dollars. And Relvin viewed as as her dealing out these minimal amounts of money. You know, like you had to be so good to hope to get the thousand dollars from Aunt Lillian, and it just gnawed at his inner being. Huh. Huh. And uh, Seeing the millions that go out and him not getting just what he considered an appropriate share, that's, in my mind, and I think in the mind of many people, that's what led him to have this strong antagonistic feeling to this woman who was generous in so many respects that they, mm-hmm. that this just couldn't understand why someone would feel that way towards her. She brought him a car. He came out of jail before he ripped, he raped Mrs. Kaplan. He came out of prison. He had nothing. She bought him a new car. I mean, how much more generous could she be? But it wasn't a big enough car for him. He wanted. He, she bought him a Volkswagen. <laughs> you know, is he for so, a man who has uh, issues with his masculinity? A Volkswagen is not the right car. <laughs> but I guess the aunt didn't know that. <laughs> well, when they played, when they played, there was a tape in prison where he was planning to kill her and her live-in friend Misha. Uh, there's a tape, and he's telling the uh, prospective uh, purported uh, murder murderer uh, what he wanted done. He wanted them both killed. Don't don't leave them. They have to be killed. Mm. And that was played for her to, to try and get her to, to testify. 
she wouldn't testify. She huh. refused to believe this this tape. In fact, she testified for him at the trial. Hmm. So I mean, she just was so blind to who he was. This story she never believed Lillian. anything bad about her Bobby. The story of Lillian Booth is really interesting one, if you'll just give me a minute or two mm-hmm. to, to give you some background on that. She was an aspiring actress in New York City. And uh, like many aspiring actresses or actors, uh, she was looking to support herself until her big break came along. So she worked in her, her uh, Roldan's mother was her sister, so she worked in the, uh, in the Sweet Sue coffee shop in New York City as a waitress. Uh, for her brother-in-law and sister, uh, while she was waiting for a you know a starring role or a, a role as an actress, uh, into that coffee shop. Oh we my! Okay, into we that co- music. Yes, into that coffee shop w- w- walked, and Walk, we'll have we'll to uh, stay tuned to hear the rest of it. Yeah. Um, the story we're talking about is a true story. It's uh, the book. The new book is called The Charmer, the story of Robert Reldon, rapist, murderer, and millionaire, and the women who fell victim to his allure. And my guests are the authors, Richard Muti and Charles Buckley. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talking with you today about the charmer from murderer to millionaire. My guests are Richard Muti and Charles Buckley. The story, I mean, obviously in the hour we're only going to be touching on <laughs> where my twisted mind goes <laughs> to ask you questions. So I really would recommend um, that everyone buy this book. I mean, it's, there are so many aspects to this. 
uh, his various victims and the the plan in jail to uh, murder his his aunt so that he could get her money and on and on. Um, so we're only touching the tip of the iceberg here. So I'm just just putting pointing that out. Now before the break, you were starting to say about uh, the man who walked into the restaurant when she was a waitress. Yes, uh, that turned out to be Colonel Ferris Booth, whose father was an early investor in IBM. And uh, uh, she fell in love with Booth. They got married. Uh, it was a happy marriage by all uh, reports. And Booth died about 10 years later when Roland was still a teenager and uh, left uh, Lillian Booth $50 million. Uh, Lillian Booth became a shrewd investor in her own right. And by the time she died back in 2000, 2007, about 50 years later, she had grown that fortune to about $200 million. So uh, Charlie started to say how she was a philanthropist and, and a well-liked philanthropist, and that may have been the reason behind some of Robert Reld and her nephew's resentment over all of these millions that she was doling out in her largesse and uh, only giving him a $1,000 check on at Christmas time and his birthday. Yes. Now, you were saying before that um, at some point she, she had... Um, a relationship with a, a live-in, a man lived in with her, a, a boyfriend, presumably. How yes. old was Robert when this boyfriend, Misha, moved in with her aunt, with his aunt? Well, uh, I think uh, I, I don't know when this, what the start of when the start of the relationship between uh, Lillian Booth and Misha was. Uh, he was about ten years her junior, a younger man, um, and and they they apparently had a, a, a loving relationship. Uh, they they never married, but they lived together. And I, I think that probably went on for at least uh, 15 years or so before the aunt died. In, in the uh, jail conversation, which was recorded when Reldon was trying to plan the murder of his aunt, he was very derogatory towards Misha. I mean, he just knocked him. He's miserable. He's just a, a leech and everything. He, I mean, he was telling the... Uh, the hitman as to why he wanted him killed. It just he he just didn't deserve being with the aunt, and he was in in the way of Reldon getting the money. But Reldon had no regard for Misha. Well, yeah, he must have been jealous of him too. Yeah, you know, I don't know if he had some um, uh, Oedipal <laughs> Oedipal feelings that he transferred onto his aunt. But in any case, Misha was certainly getting the benefit of her largesse more than Reldon was. Yes. Well, she she bought a new Cadillac. She always had two Cadillacs. She bought a new Cadillac every year, and I guess one was for her and one was for Misha. And, and Bobby's mm-hmm. sitting home with his Volkswagen. He's not happy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> now, um, during the break, I was asking you or, uh, whether he ever married. How old was he when he got married? Relvin, when he got married, what year was that? 68, something like that. No, he got, he got married in 1970, so he was... Uh, Born in uh, actually got married uh, about five months before he he uh, yeah. he got married two in women. He got married he was in seventy five. Born, born in nineteen forty, so, so he, he was what, 35. thirty-five years old. And yeah. what was she like? She was a uh, she from all reports a very attractive, very pretty woman. She had been he had met her down in Florida on vacation. She was down from Chicago. Her her husband had organized crime connections. And it was a, a bad marriage, a verbal abuse, physical abuse. She's very unhappy. 
she said she fell in love with Robert the first day they met. That's the effect he had on him. That quickly, uh, she fell in love with him. She had a, a young son with her; who was about six or seven at the time. They separate. He go. He's going back to Closter. She's going back to Chicago. Chicago. She calls him the next day. Her husband has been murdered. They found his body in the trunk of a car. Uh, Relvin immediately drives. He, now he's on parole. He can't leave the state of New Jersey except with permission of the parole authorities. He immediately leaves his job and goes out to uh, Illinois to spend a week or so with her to, to console her for her loss. Was there and, ever uh, any any thought that he might have arranged that murder? Uh, it happened so quickly that it, it's very unlikely that uh, uh, he would have, you know, he would be involved. And if there's anything possible with Relvin, believe me, but... Uh, uh, you know, most people tend to think it did not happen. He, the guy was, uh, the guy had organized crime connections and he was under indictment at the time and the thought was he was killed to keep him quiet. Mm. So that's, that's what happened it, out it there. It looked like a mob hit the way he was killed but, too. Mm. Then as, as it gets time where, where Reldon's back in jail and is it, uh, for the rape, then as he, it gets time near, near when he's going to be paroled, she moves to New Jersey to live with Mr. and Mrs. Reldon waiting for him to get out. I mean, oh. she was very much in love with him. She wow. waited for years for him to become free from uh, uh, prison. So how? What, what do you think was the reason that she was spared, that he didn't rape or murder her? Well, when, when he was on vacation, he was with his parents, and he met her poolside. And I, I guess, uh, you know, he had some feelings toward her, too. These things with Relden, he it happened so quickly. He'd be driving down the street, uh, uh, see a woman, and for no like, like Mrs. Kaplan, there was no reason for him to be in that area. I mean, at, at her house, he had to just be driving by and see her. She was returning from delivering uh, cookies uh, to her mother over in in uh, Hackensack. He, our conclusion is he just happened to see her. There was no reason for him to know her or be anywhere around. And she just, for whatever reason, under the pressure of the uh, the moment, and that's how all of these things seemed to happen with him, he decided to follow her. They well, all there, happened that way. Was there any physical similarities between amongst his victims? Both of the murder victims were... Uh, Young, uh, uh, light-haired women, very attractive women. Um, Mrs. Kaplan was uh, more middle-aged. Um, I, I don't know that he um, picked women out for uh, physical characteristics at all. He just, as Charlie said, it seemed to be a, a random selection as as the thought moved him as he was usually driving past, uh, sees another woman in a car or uh, on the street, and uh, fixates on that woman and and looks for an opening to uh, to take take control of her without immediately being caught and he seemed to be under turns usually there was a a outside source of pressure on him at the time things were, he, he his job he was having trouble at work for some reason they cut his salary whatever it was that there was always outside pressures which for some in our mind for some reason just caused him to snap and uh, just it just happened. I mean, when the, the first woman, Mrs. Kaplan, he had 
he had two pretty young girlfriends here in the uh, in the area in the closer in Fort Lee area. He had Judy Ro- Rosenberg who was out in Chicago, but they had seen each other and they, they you know they were having relations. And all of a sudden, uh, he sees this uh, sort of middle-aged woman, uh, you know, and he just follows her and rapes her uh, out of the blue. I mean, there's just nothing, no way you can explain how that happened, uh, logically. Well, um, now, you said he's, where is he, where is he now? What prison is he in? He's in Trenton State Prison, New Jersey. And um, his sister is still still visits him and provides money for his defense. She is providing a lot of money for attorneys who are who are fighting his parole situation. They they had put a parole uh, date on him. I think another twenty years he had to do his last. What year was his last uh, parole hearing? Two thousand and nine, ten, nine. And he got another 20 years on top, I think, and uh, they're trying to fight this idea that uh, it should be 20 years before he'll be eligible for parole. And she's hired one of the best attorneys in the state. She's spending anything she has to to help him. And is she, um, she, now she, I think uh, when we were talking off the air, you were saying that she has polio. You think that she has, her her sickness was polio. Um, Is she, is she able to, um, does she have a job? Is she married? Does she have, you know, is she able to um, take well, care? I, I don't think there was any uh, lasting effect on her. Uh, the the polio information came to me through a, a schoolmate, a high school right. schoolmate of uh, Reldon. So I, I don't have any independent verification of that, but the the schoolmate said that that was one of the reasons why uh, Reldon kind of resented her and was trying to get the attention of his parents. But she uh, subsequently married. I think she divorced. I think she has at least two children. So she apparently is is living a a normal life, and and I'm not sure whether she's remarried or not. But as Charlie said, she's been very supportive of her brother and is is doing uh, her best to uh, secure his release on parole. And his parents aren't alive. And did they go to their death thinking that he, he didn't commit any of these crimes? Well, one of the things, Mister, one of the things, Mister Rowland said he was trying to hire Edward Bennett Williams, one of the most powerful law firms in the country, a big Washington D.C. powerhouse firm, and he said, "I just want you to be able to tell me whether or not my son is a murderer, uh, how how he could uh, not be aware of of this 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 boy's." Uh, problems and, and, and what what potential he had for criminal activity. I, I just can't understand. He he bumped into a couple of detectives out in, in Ohio one day, detectives from the office here on the highway, and at a rest stop they bumped into him. He still asserted his son's innocence. He's in the court every day when, when the case is being tried. He was in the court when uh, when I was trying the case. Hmm. So... Well, that must have been really amazing when you were trying the case. I mean, I guess uh, there was media in the courtroom all the time, and there. Oh, yeah, there there was media, and it was it was an important case because everyone people knew it was the third trial of this guy. The first trial, they have a hung jury. The second trial, there's a conviction on all counts, both murders, and it's reversed on appeal. And now I'm sent up from from Trenton because there's alleged conflict, which was phony that they they. Asked the Bergen County prosecutor's office not to be involved, and so the the whole you know there's so people there your, every day. How did your the case that you tried come out? 
Well, you know, I, he was convicted. Uh, it's a third time. I mean, he should have been convicted in all three cases. The first two cases which were tried, you had the one woman who just obstinately refused to follow her oath. She violated her oath by refusing to discuss the mm-hmm. evidence in the case. Mm-hmm. Oh, my. Um, very fertile ground. We're talking about the new book that's out called The Charmer, the story of Robert Reldon, rapist, murderer, and millionaire, and the women who fell victim to his allure. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll be back with my guests, uh, Richard Multi and Charles Buckley. And, uh, boy, <laughs> fascinating stuff, so stay tuned. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch, where we're talking about the charmer from murderer to millionaire. My guests are Richard Milty and Charles Buckley. So um, continue with the story. It's just, it's just so fascinating. Um, you wanted to talk about the... Was it the first trial, the second trial? Second trial. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Charlie. Well, no, you started to talk about the the uh, attempt to uh, get a mistrial by influencing the jurors with a, with a notes. So I don't know if you finished that thought. Well, yeah, that wasn't uh, on the that was off the air. So I, I, I will start over again. <laughs> uh, du- during that second trial, uh, when Reldon saw it was going poorly, toward the end of the trial. Uh, the jury uh, started out at 16 members, but uh, I think three of them had been dismissed for one reason or another. And, and it was down to 12, or 12 members on the jury. If one more was excused, it would have caused a mistrial, and there would have had to have been another trial. Uh, anyway, uh, all of the jurors all of a sudden get letters at their home addresses with $100 in cash in the letters and a note the note says words to the effect that uh, convict this bum and there's another $900 for you. They all get huh. identical letters. Fortunately, the judge was able to intercept um, uh, these letters. One of the jurors came forward to tell him and, and was able to, uh, with the use of sheriff's officers going home to intercept mail, etc., was able to prevent 
the final 12 jurors from being contaminated. Uh, obviously, if the jury had received these letters, um, uh, it would have been impossible to proceed, uh, and, and the judge would have had to, to declare a mistrial. We don't know for sure. It was never proven who sent the letters, but the only reasonable motive that Charlie and I can see is that uh, it was Reldon, in fact, who was trying to get a mistrial because he saw the case going against him. Yeah. That was a, a very clever way of doing it. You know, instead yeah. of saying um, there's another 900 if you let him go free, which, of course, would put suspicion on him. <laughs> yes. You know, he he's pretended that it was the other way. Exactly right, and he did it economically, too, because he only gave each juror a hundred, <laughs> and he saved the rest of the bribe for later. Uh, there's no getting around it. Robert Reldon was an extremely intelligent uh, man. Uh, I, I don't know if I ever saw any IQ results, but it was clear that he was very, very intelligent. As a matter of fact, in the third case, which Charlie Buckley was the prosecutor, Reldon uh, tried to fire his attorney at the start of that trial, again, another tactic to mm-hmm. achieve a delay, but Reldon actually represented himself in that third trial against Charlie Buckley, and he actually did quite well. He handled himself very well, even though he wasn't a, a lawyer. Hmm. Yes. Now, that must have made that additionally interesting. It was very unique. Uh, the, the judge, uh, you know, the judge warned him. I mean, he kept constantly warning him, you know, you're you know, you're taking an awful risk here, double murder case, and you're going on attorney. But their hopes were that later on an appellate division uh, court mm-hmm. or judge would find that this was prejudicial to him. And so he'd get in. That was another ploy to try and get a new trial mm-hmm. in the event he was convicted. Something else happened in the second trial, though, that was that was interesting because of later developments. A woman in the, a woman who was a constant uh, spectator at the, at the trial uh, sort of got attached to Robert Reldon. He'd smile at her, and then they asked for permission to just uh, talk together in the courtroom and everything like that, and they were very friendly. And later on, after he's in jail, uh, well, he's on appeal, he somehow gets her to bring a, a, a loaded shotgun down to the hospital in Trenton. He fakes an injury. It's Easter Sunday. There's no medical help at the state prison. Mm. They send him over to the hospital, and she's supposed to be waiting there with this loaded shotgun. They want to blast their way out of the uh, uh, out of the out of prison. Fortunately, a guard from the prison happened to be there for another reason. He saw her and he rec- knew immediately huh. what was involved. This poor woman who was so infatuated with Reldon that she would willingly do this, she ended up doing five years in the state's prison for her efforts. Oh, wow. Yeah. Again, the charming effect that he had on all sorts of people, not only his victims, but people he wanted to help him. He, during the time he was in prison, uh, a prison guard, a female prison guard, became his best friend in prison and uh, got him choice uh, prison job assignments. Uh, when, he, when he went back to prison after, after the murders, before he was ever convicted or indicted on, she was in a position, she got him one of the choicest jobs in the prison. Uh, I mean, they, these are things people fight over to get these. And he walks into the jail and right away he's got this job and he's, and he's telling her who else to hire for the job. I mean, he just had control of her. And and the people, the Williams brothers, the two people that brought this plan to kill the man, uh, the aunt to the four, uh, they were the ones that told us this. That he had a very strong relationship with her. So, hmm. Yes, we, we didn't really actually talk about that, but that apparently he he 
talked in jail? I mean, how did these people know that he was plotting to to uh, get someone to murder his aunt? How did who know? The 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 people. The Williams he, brothers. Yes. Well, they they were big time criminals from South Jersey. Uh, they were the ones he approached to uh, try and, oh, if not themselves, I did they see. know anyone who would be willing to do this? It first started out as a plan to just rob the aunt to get the money. But then as it approached uh, getting near the time he was about to be indicted on the two murder charges, it turned to a plan to kill the aunt, just kill her and get all the money. So, so it but was, he, uh, he and his sister were the only beneficiaries? or were there No, there were... There were five brothers and sisters, including the aunt and, and Reldon's mother, and, and the aunt gave, gave every one of her, you know, all the, all the other four an equal share. I think it was maybe there were five others. Yeah, Reldon's five, share. Anyone got be... an equal share of, of uh, like Reldon's, the Reldon, uh, the brother and the Susan and Robert each got uh, the nine million, so they got $18 million share for, for Marie, uh-huh. the mother. Uh-huh. So each one got about that $18, 19000000 million. Huh. This sounds like a complicated mess, but I assure you in the book it's laid out very logically and sequentially. Yes, when I'm not, there's, when there's nobody interrupting the story. No, 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 no not at all. Um, boy, it's, uh, well, I have a, one last question. I mean, we might be running out of time. Um, how did, did you get permission from him to write this book, or, or what's the connection right now between you and he? Permission from who? From, from Reldon, no, no, we, we, we don't need permission from them, obviously. Uh, we used uh, all sorts of court records and stuff. Uh-huh. We, we actually never decided not to interview him because we, we knew he would not be truthful. Uh, he lied during uh, depositions and things like that. So we had no interest in, in interviewing him. Uh, we did interview a whole host of people, uh, witnesses, witnesses. Uh, uh, um, Susan Reeves' father, uh, John, uh, Susan Haynes's husband, etc., but not not Reldon. Uh huh. And do you know whether he is getting or ever got psychiatric help? Well, he he got what you, I guess during the term he was in jail for the rape cases. He he got psychological help, whether it was psychiatric, I don't know. But I mean, that was what Mr. Prendergast was doing for him. To finally get him out, and he had a thirty-year sentence, and he only did three years. And Prendergast oh. says he's he's cured. Let him he's out. Wow. Wow. He claims he's he claims he's rehabilitated. He's a poet now. He's published poetry from prison. Uh, he's a lay minister in prison, and and he's used those uh, those arguments to try to get a parole board to release him. But the last parole board that heard his case in two thousand and nine. Uh, called him a consummate liar and and didn't believe anything uh, and said that he would represent a continuing danger if he were ever released again. Yeah. Boy, his poetry must be interesting. <laughs> yes, uh, I, I um, uh, tried to make my way through some of it, but I I, I, it, I didn't find it uh, <laughs> tremendously rewarding for my time. <laughs> so. huh. So I'm hoping, uh, uh, Dr. Carroll, that there are several movie producers listening yeah. to your show and uh, that they contact us about uh, movie rights for the book, and we'll be happy to speak with them. Yes, movie rights, either uh, with all this, you, it seems like it would have to be a miniseries. There's yes. one thing I'd like to, like to point out. You know, yeah. uh, the, uh, Susan Reeves' father uh, got a $10 million judgment against Reldon 
for the money, you know, uh, on behalf of his daughter. But it wasn't for him personally. He never had the idea that uh, this is for me. It was all donated back to her her college and donated to a fund in remembrance of her. But he just didn't want Reldon to have the capacity to enjoy all this money that uh, just uh, he felt she shouldn't get. Well, but, uh, well, that was that was at least something positive that came yeah, from yeah, this. Yeah. I mean, from what you've been describing, it certainly doesn't seem like he should ever be let out because he has a very deep-seated um, psychiatric problem. I mean, obviously he's a psychopath, but someone needs to sort of untwist all of the things that went through his childhood and his mind when he was <laughs> raping and killing these women. Well, obviously people can get this book um, wherever books are sold and on Amazon. Yes. Okay. And again, the name of the book is called The Charmer, The Story of Robert Reldon, Rapist, Murderer, and Millionaire, and the Women Who Fell Victim to His Allure. And again, I'd like to thank my guests, Richard Multy and Charles Buckley. This is a fabulous, fabulously interesting story. And um, I, I, hope, uh, I hope all of you who are listening <laughs> go out and, and get it because, again, we just, there's so much here that we were just able to touch upon some of the highlights. So thank you for being guests on the show, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 